0: Like the show? Wanna listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at a $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron only feed where we put out episodes of upstairs studio podcasts like the Childcare Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules Podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Heather (laughs) okay so the next section then is the one um uh on being present that we were talking about a minute ago that we sort of of teased i guess um so so the section is on being present it reminded me a lot of um so on on saturdays this month we're doing a virtual book discussion of emily planks discovering the culture of childhood and the you know the theme is that there is a specific culture that we as adults don't remember anymore because we're so far removed from it we see things through our adult lens um, you know, the children are seeing things through their lens and we need to, we need to work through that somehow. And so in, in this section of your, of your article, you talk about, um, you know, children's spheres are smaller, so they tend to live more in the present moment and right here than us grown ups. So it connected for me when I read this to the conversations we've been having in that book discussion group. Um, but I want to ask you to expand on that a little bit and explain how that connects to being present.
1: Sure. Well, the sphere of experience is um, a human being's um, understanding or experience of both space and time. Right. So this section starts with a quote from Ram Das who says, be here now. I'm an old science fiction nerd. I and have, so here uh, is about space. a temporary tattoo of that, by the way. You do? It's be temporary. Here now?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Temporary. I haven't used it yet, but it's in my oh, box my, of temporary okay. tattoos. Yeah.
1: Anyway. Got it. Um, So here is about space and now is about time. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing I love to jabber on more about than the space-time continuum. Oh my God. Um, And our understandings of space and time. So when we're very little, our understandings are, that sphere is very small. Our understanding of space and time is very small. We live very much here and very much now. Mm -hmm. Um, When I'm an infant and my diaper is wet, I'm not crying because I nostalgically remember a time when it was dry. <laughs> and I'm not crying because I'm hopeful of a future in which it'll be dry. I'm crying because right now it's warm and wet and yucky and it doesn't feel good. <laughs> um, and we forget that, yeah. we grown ups mm-hmm. because our spheres are so big. Um, even though my body is present, my mind can wander back to that argument I had with my sister 20 years ago that I'm still pissed about. (laughs) Or I can be appearing to be present, but I'm actually thinking about my retirement, which often gets a lot of laughs in an early childhood. Right. Because how many of us actually have money saved up for retirement? Right. But the point is, it's really challenging for us to stay in the here and the now. And we have to remember that the ones we're caring for are, that's where they are. Mm -hmm. They're literally experiencing the world we're in the we think we're living the same world in the same moment together but it's just like you forget animals can't see colors and that their experience of the entire world some animals right um, oh, is totally okay. different than the world we think even though my dog and I are both looking at the same site mm-hmm. uh, and we forget that and mm-hmm. so we forget that young children um, aren't beset by by the fretting over the past or the future or worrying about what's happening um, uh, in Wuhan, China, like we grown-ups can be mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. um, or Italy. Um, and so, uh, understanding that, and then once again, um, being intentional about, um, noticing when your mind is wandering somewhere other than here and now, uh, taking a deep breath and then getting yourself back to this moment. Uh, is what helps you become present with the child and then actually follow their lead and mm-hmm. be a good observer of what's meaningful to them and where their growing edges are and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But it, it starts with getting present.
0: Yeah. And I think that it, that, that thinking more about that, trying to be more intentional about being present, I guess we'll just use all the words. Um it gives maybe another, um, I guess, element of, for consideration to thinking about how process oriented children are. The, I think the the conversation typically ends up being about um, all the things they're learning during that process. But if we shift it and just think about how driven they are to, to just focus on that moment, well, then of course the process is more important than the product because... The process is built up of moment on moment on moment that they're moving through in real time, not worried about what this is going to look like at the end or what happens when I'm done with this process. I I, I don't know if that's making sense, but for me it makes it, total it,
1: sense to me. It,
0: it, um it adds a little bit more value to thinking about processes rather than just end products or adult goals. Well,
1: absolutely. You said doing. it perfectly. A process is a moment and then another moment. It's a now and a now and a now and a now for a young child, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Well, for anyone really. Right. But, so the example I often give when I connect that to process versus product is um, the wonderful experience of baking with young children, right? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with you asking what do you, what do you think this is going to taste like when it comes out of the oven? Do you think it's going to be yummy or yucky? Mm-hmm. Right? Because prediction is an important early right. childhood skill. Right. Nothing wrong and, with that question. And posing But if questions. that's where you stop, yeah. there's a problem. If you understand that children live moment to moment, then you're asking, so it's all about your pattern, your facilitation. Then you're asking, how does it feel to stir? I'm pouring more flour in. Is it getting harder or easier to stir? I could ask it as a predictive question. Do Uh you think it'll get harder or easier to stir when I pour more flour in? That's not bad. That's important. Again, you've heard me say this in our past discussions. You have to look at your practice over all 10 months or year that you're with the child. Uh Sometimes you ask questions of prediction, but hopefully most of the time you're just narrating what's happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. And then we get into terms like self-talk and parallel talk.
0: Um. Oh shoot! Now I forgot what I was gonna say, but I—I I mean, I was gonna point back to the article because you do—you um, do talk about how being present should affect the activities that we offer, um, yeah. or can affect the activities that we offer. Um, so I just wanted to point back to that for folks who are listening. Um, so, yeah. so the next section then is on meaningfulness, um, and you—you you kind of start with. You know, most of us think that the academic stuff is the meaning, the reason that we're here and doing these things with children. Um, and then you say neurological research tells us that human beings learn best when our emotions are involved at a slightly heightened level. So I wanted to, I, most first, I just want you to talk about what you mean by that emotionally heightened level, because I think for some, they'll hear that and they'll think, um they're upset. You know what I mean? Usually when we're talking about heightened emotions, we're talking about behavior or um, being sad or mad or scared or something like that. So, so explain that to us a little bit, please.
1: Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, if you were to see the keynote version of this article, you would see a visual of a spectrum Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, the spectrum goes from underwhelm on one end to overwhelm on the other end. And the middle point is our normal level of affect or emotion Mm -hmm. at any given moment, generally speaking during the the whelm. (laughs) Yeah. It's the place of whelm. And then there's another point on that spectrum slightly between slightly above whelm, um, towards overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And that's the sweet spot neurologically speaking for learning. So if you're underwhelmed, you're bored, that speaker's reading from index cards, um, my poor community college students are like, every other class I have, the professor, lectures, and then I'm supposed to write notes, and then I get tested on it, and I don't remember that stuff because he just drones on and on. Um, that's underwhelm. Mm-hmm. Overwhelm is when you are throwing a tantrum, and I'm, that's a whole other conversation. Right, guys, I don't <laughs> yeah. I like that word, but okay. Oh, me In neither, other words we can you're use it totally for totally out of emotional control mm-hmm. um, for that moment. Um, Or you're laughing so hard that you peed your pants just a little bit. Um, That's overwhelm. When you're in that state, you can't learn. Right. Because Um, you're thinking of that
0: nostalgic time when you weren't peeing. Right. Right.
1: (laughs) Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Yes. People who are just (laughs) listening to this podcast, you can't see how old Heather is. Um, That's one of the unfortunate things about it. Just listening. (laughs) Um, she's c- clearly entered the peeing her pants state, of her <laughs> life. Um, and I'll just say welcome. I've been there for now a few uh-huh. years. Oh, great. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. um, glad to have you join the club. Yeah, mm-hmm. happy. To um, be here. I don't remember what we were talking about I don't I'm sorry. <laughs> it was something about oh. the sweet spot. And uh. Yeah. So neural. So what happens is the reason why you're overwhelmed is that your brain is flooded with chemicals. Um positive chemicals. If you're laughing so hard or what we might call negative chemicals. Um, if you are so sad, so angry, so upset, um, learning can't happen in that moment. We just, we know that. Mm -hmm. And so, however, um, there's that little place where emotion is heightened just enough, um, that you're involved, you're engaged. We like that word in early childhood engaged. And so, um, So where does that happen? In one word, play. Mm -hmm. When you let children play, their affect, and they get to control the play, um, their affect is right in that sweet spot. If you sit them all down and ask them to make the handprint turkey, (laughs) um, some of them, they might be into it, and their affect might be uh, raised to that moment, to that point. But it's likely, out of those 20 children, that's maybe three or four. And you've lost 16 of them mm-hmm. who are not engaged because they want to be drawing a picture of a rocket or building with blocks or outside digging with a stick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of this meaningfulness stuff points to play. Uh, another way I'll, I'll explain it is so when I was a director, part of my job was that I would give tours to prospective parents twice a month, right? Mm -hmm. Enrollment, enrollment, enrollment. That's (laughs) the hard part of being a director. You got to keep your center enrolled. Yes, one of
0: them.
1: And so you give your spiel after you do your tour. And I would say to them that when I was a young teacher, or rather when I was learning how, well, (laughs) I was a young teacher and I was going to school to learn how to be a teacher at the same time, Uh right? I was an assistant teacher back in Uh the 80s and still taking classes. And I was taught, here's what a curriculum looks like. In September, you do all about me. And then in October, that expands to me and my family. And then November, that expands to community helpers. And that seemed to me as a young person, really logical. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, you start with the child, then you expand to the family and then you move outward toward the community. Yeah, that sounds logical. Okay. So before I ever met my kids, I had my whole year planned out, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But where I uh, was directing Uh, it was an emergent curriculum uh, center for infants through uh, Mm pre-kindergarten. And I would tell the parents, so that's what I learned back in the eighties. But now what's happened between the eighties and now is neurology is brain science. We now know we can study what lights up. I'm Mm -hmm. using air quotes, Mm -hmm. children's brains, human (laughs) beings, brains, and what doesn't. And if you're in November, And you're doing community helpers, and you're studying firefighters, but you've got a kid who's really into princesses, Um, and you've lined it up so that your letter of the week is F for firefighter. You think you're doing a great job because you're covering your content, Mm -hmm. but you've missed what's meaningful to that kid, that boy or that girl who loves princesses. And so emergent curriculum means it emerges out of the interests of the children. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so as I said in that active childhood UK thing, I had a toddler classroom that did pirates for three months <laughs> because the teachers were trained to be keen observers for engagement and to notice when the subject of pirates was going to stop being engaging and when it was ready to move on to something else. And my older infant room, they did owls for a week or two. Kids got disengaged with that. And suddenly they were into unicorns. And I always thought that made great sense, my explanation. Mm -hmm. And then one of the dads in the tour said, well, uh, you know, with all due respect, I need to ask you, Richard, I want my child to go to preschool to get ready for school. Mm -hmm. I don't really care if they know about pirates or unicorns. Mm -hmm. so I don't understand why you would do that. Pirates and unicorns aren't going to help them through life. And I said to him, you know, that is a really good question. I've never thought of it that way before. The truth is, it's not about the pirates, and it's not about the unicorns. The pirates and the unicorns are a means to an end. Mm -hmm. It's what raises their emotional level, and it gets them engaged because they're excited about that topic. But meanwhile, I'm facilitating social skills, emotional regulation. I'm weaving colors, letters and numbers and shapes in there and all the things that are in my state's kindergarten readiness standards, whether I agree with them or not. Mm -hmm. um, It's really not about the pirates. And he said, oh, (laughs) oh, well that makes sense. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what's gonna get your kid ready for kindergarten. Uh Not the pirates, but all the ways that I use the pirates as a means Mm -hmm. to those other ends. Mm-hmm. We can have another conversation about whether those ends are where we really think children right. are what's most important for children. Right. But that's a whole different conversation. Baby
0: steps. The yeah. kindergarten
1: teacher <laughs> wants me to have those things, uh-huh. and this is how you get there. Yeah. Huh.
0: I'm just thinking about playing pirates now. Sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> and missing my preschool kids. I had one who was really into pirates. Um, and you're right. If we could tie anything else into pirate play he was so much more he just smiled he smiled all the time while we were doing whatever it is we were doing and uh uh you can you can see the connections happening almost because of the emotional connection and then I'm more emotionally engaged um in what's going on with that right with that little boy um your next section is on love and um uh, this is, I'm trying to think of this came up, um, in a conversation not long ago. Maybe it was just online about whether we should say, I love you to children that we're working with. I don't remember if that was you anyway. Um, so, uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just ask you to tell me why you included love as one of the things that we should be thinking about in early childhood education.
1: Uh, well, that section ends with a quote from uh, Dr. Ashley Montague of Australia, mm-hmm. uh, who talks about love being the foundational um, curriculum upon which every other early childhood subject matter grows. That if there's not love, uh, if you're not um, um, addressing the base of Maslow's hierarchy, uh, the rest of it's kind of irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been fascinating to me though. And again, I, I have a whole keynote called what's love got to do with it. And then when I do that, when I engage the audience in a conversation about, have you ever seen that word written down? Is it in your job description? Mm-hmm. Is it in your program's mission statement? Is it in NAEYC's position statements? Nope. The closest NAEYC comes is pro-social skills. Mm-hmm. That's the closest thing I could find to the word love. Mm-hmm. But Again, if my job is to introduce children to what it means to be a human being, I can't think of any more important reason for me to be on the planet Mm -hmm. than to um, be a conduit of love, to give them love, to um, receive their love, um, to understand the difference between love and like. Like, I don't have to like every child in my care, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I can't um, give and receive love. Uh, with that child. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that's the most important gift that I can give them. Um, We could go down a rabbit hole called attachment. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, I don't know if I was part of that conversation about whether we should say to children, I love you. (laughs) seems Um, like you were, but I can't. I might've been. Yeah. I don't know what it was. Anyway. -hmm. We spent way too much time together, (laughs) Mike dear nerd i have no idea It all blends together now i know um but it's been a great gift in my life oh. you have i want to just say that Aww, um, you're sweet yeah absolutely <laughs> um uh now i love we were talking about love i know that much <laughs> oh, so yeah so um i've always said i love you to children uh huh me too um always um it's a very controversial stance mm-hmm. when you get when you look at it through the lens of attachment we know now that even though our modern world needs childcare, the kind of stuff that, yeah, maybe this was us, because we were talking about Bowlby. (laughs) The kind of stuff that Bowlby talked about around attachment Uh um, was about one primary attachment. Uh Um, Neurologically speaking is what helped form that uh, basis of security. Um, And inherently in our field, you attach and detach and attach and detach year after year and the science is still out on whether or not that's the healthiest thing. Mm-hmm. It also, by the way, someone pointed out to me recently that that's a very white perspective. Yeah. Um, which was interesting. Yeah. That, that I was missing out on interdependent cultures where attachment aren't just to one person, yeah. but to a collective of, of people who are all caring for that child. Yeah. Um, but either way, it's that same group of people for those first five years of life. Right. Whether it's one or m- multiple. And that's different than the nature of our profession. Mm -hmm. Attach, detach, attach, detach. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the end, if I had to pick between uh, not saying I love you and saying I love you, I'm always going to pick saying I love you. And I'm also, by the way, really careful to say to children, because they're egocentric, and that's a whole other conversation, (laughs) and they don't understand the difference between what they do and who they are. I'm always careful to say, I love you no matter what. Yeah. But I do not like hitting. Mm-hmm. Hitting is not okay. I will never even let you get hit in my classroom, but I love you no matter what.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we get all tied up in, uh, so you mentioned the word professionalism in this section. And I think too many people think professionalism means clinical and detached. And, um, but, but for me, professionalism means in our field, specifically professionalism means I understand what the children I'm working with need and why. And then I think about how my actions impact that need. Um, and, and you can't take love out of that because of the, you know, what we know about the importance of relationships and, um, attachments. Uh, and you know, um, but also just who wants to, I don't know. It's, it sounds really empty and hard and sad for me to think about being intentionally trying to keep myself detached from other human beings, regardless of their age. Right. Um, so so that, that sort of cold idea of professionalism is really hard for me, but I see it a lot or, or, or maybe they feel like that's what they need to believe. And they just need to be given a little bit of permission to, um, to think about it differently or to trust that instinct um, to accept that relationship.
1: Well, you know, it goes back to that first section in the article, which is about personal reflection, uh-huh. about bringing our humanity to work, that actually part of being a professional means being a human being with other people's children mm-hmm. um, and what a unique professional opportunity mm-hmm. that is right. um and when you do that you can't help at least i can't i can't help but love no me um, and it might be in that section where that that says you have to redefine professionalism mm-hmm. this one or the next section um when you start considering this yeah um here's what came to mind here's a story that came to mind when you started talking about uh that one of the problems is around love anyway is how we define professionalism uh-huh I was, I'm in a director's group on Facebook and one of them asked for suggestions on good interview questions for hiring new staff. And I said, well, here's what I've always done when I've been a director or anytime I've hired anyone for an early childhood related position. Mm -hmm. I say to them, now, I know when you come to this interview, you think of interviews and so you get dressed in your finest and you want to impress me. Mm -hmm. But um, here's, here's what I'm asking of you come to an interview dressed in what you think is professional attire for working with young children. Ooh, and then I so want you tricky. to know that my first question to you is going to be, tell me why you chose what you're wearing. Okay. What does it say about your belief about being an early childhood professional? Uh-huh. And I have to tell you, 100% of the time, someone who comes dressed up in their finest in high heels does not get the job, <laughs> right? If they yes. have the, 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 the ovaries to come dressed up in sweats to a job interview 99 percent of the time if they show those other skills uh and knowledge that's the person who's going to get the job uh-huh. because they know it's not about look being an early childhood professional an effective one is not about looking good uh-huh. it's about getting down on the floor and looking foolish and giving uh-huh. and receiving love and making messes yes yeah
0: this is another area that will come into our conversations about things we've gotten in trouble for. <laughs> <laughs> Unsurprisingly, <laughs> probably dress code is one of the, is on my list. Uh, I will tell you,
1: I had a, I swear I shit you not. Ooh. I had a young woman when I said that to her, uh-huh. she came in a giant elephant costume. <laughs> swear to God, like when you rent from some That's company or something, oh and God. she said, When I said, "Tell me about what you think your job is," Uh my job is to entertain young children.
0: Yeah. Well, she didn't get the job. Yeah, bless her heart. She was a a different kind of of wrong answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Um, I had a woman come to an interview once in a trucker's cap. You know, the trucker hat that says "Your Boyfriend's Hat." Um, she also didn't get the job, not necessarily because of her hat, but there might have been some connection.
1: I've had two interviewees use the <laughs> F word in their in interviews. the interview, oh, in the interviews, and one of them did not get the job because oh, of the context of the use of that word, and oh. the other one was like. As long as you can show me that you know not to use that around children, you so have this job,
0: right? I guess because interviewing I love that maybe you is that a
1: free with yourself.
0: Yeah, that you would think. Tell episode.
1: me, and that was one of my interview questions. Hmm. So tell me why you thought it was appropriate to use the F word in an interview, <laughs> and it was her answer about authenticity.
0: That oh yeah,
1: awesome. That sounds like a fun interview. <laughs> oh, I man. always say my interviews. Uh, I have not done a good interview unless I've made them cry. Oh my God, Richard! Either tears of joy or sadness or whatever. Oh, that's um, if I can't get them to cry in the interview, uh, I haven't done my job. Right.
0: That's something, man.
1: All right, all right. <laughs> that's where I hold the bar.
0: Okay, good. Yeah, I'm. So inter- interviews, whole other topic. But um, yes. I also had one woman stop like mid midway through and say, "Wait, what center is this again?" <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, just get out. Um, okay, so I had you're. A girl, oh, girl. I'm sorry. No, no, let's go tell your radical.
1: story. She yeah, brought okay. her mom to the interview. Oh, I this husbands. is my mom. She's just going to sit out here while we talk.
0: Yeah. Oh no, I didn't have a husband. I was interviewing the husband, and the wife came along, and I was like, "You can just wait in the in you know here in the lobby, and um, he'll be out before long." And she's like, "Oh no, I'm coming in," and she came and just sat there through the whole. I was like, you know, he's going to be working in a building full of women. Did he get the job? Um, he did, but he didn't last very long. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, because he was an incredible flirt. <laughs> Was working with, yeah,
1: that's partially, a whole lot of partially. Issue.
0: All right. So anyway, hey, let's talk about respect. That's the last section of this article. Is that where we are? Being we sure are yep on respect. Okay. So you, I know that you've talked about your platinum rule on the podcast before. um I at, yeah, I think it one of the very early episodes that you did with me. Um, so I, I want you to talk about that. But respect is one of the words that I hate. Because of how it 's often used, because it most often, when I hear it used, means compliance, blind obedience it 's very one sided oh. when I hear people talk about respect in young children um, so oh. So this is again what you have written is a totally different perspective on the word, and I think your platinum rule nails it if i if I could use grown up language like that.
1: Well, thank you, my dear. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was going to say something like, you can nail me anytime, but that's (laughs) probably, it doesn't really get my message across appropriately. That's very inappropriate. (laughs) Um, But, um... Welcome to my living room. Anyway, (laughs) Um. No, so my take on it, I've never really heard respect used in terms, it was really interesting to hear you say that.
0: Oh my God, you have lived a blessed existence.
1: Well, I, but see, you, you were talking about teacher... Maybe I just misunderstood you. Okay. What I thought you were going to say is that um, for children to respect adults looks like compliance. Right. But I thought I heard you talking about adults being compliant.
0: No, no, no. What I meant was when adults use the word respect, most often in my experience, they're talking about wanting children to respect them, and the respect looks like obedience and compliance.
1: Well, it's sort of like, um, but they don't I know that my... talk
0: about respecting children. So anyway, so right, it's right. Yeah.
1: Well, what that brings up for me is when I think of when I work with a group of directors or even teachers, and they're so very proud to say how uh, they know their classroom is a good one, because the children are so well behaved. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, actually, that's one of my most Ma- biggest red flag. Sounds like but a room full of broken spirits to me. <laughs> <and their well-being laughs> yeah. By age two or three or four, oh that's God. yeah, not at all my expectation. Mm-hmm. But in this context, in the article, uh, I talk about the golden rule, mm-hmm. um, which is basically do unto others as you would have them do, do unto, unto you. you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That that's what respect means, right? So treat them the way you'd want to be treated. Um, but because I went to Pacific Oaks and I was immersed in anti-bias education Mm -hmm. and just um, so gratefully um, um, just pummeled as a white male um, repeatedly for years. Um, And that's what it took to really open my eyes Mm -hmm. to my power and my privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm so thankful to all of those um, uh, women of color that did that for me and that had the, courage to point out what kept, I couldn't see Mm -hmm. for myself, but it was Mm -hmm. right there. Um, I realized, especially for me as a white male, um, if I do unto others as they, I would have them do unto me, um, I am so ignorant about what most people want in this world, just by virtue of my Mm. um, race and my gender, that I'm likely to treat them disrespectfully. Mm -hmm. Um, and my goal as a human being is I want people to feel respected by me. And I I realized I'm not going to meet that goal if I treat them how I want to be treated. Because, um, it turns out that the world is way more complex and diverse than I thought growing up Mm -hmm. in my little white suburban community. And so I need to do unto others as they would have me do unto them. And so That means I have to build relationships. Then it opens up the whole topic of relationship-based learning. Mm -hmm. I have to get to know every child in their family and remember what their culture is. And culture doesn't just mean their religion or their ethnicity, but their home culture. Mm -hmm. Because they could be of the same religion and ethnicity, but in their unique home, uh, respect looked a very particular way. Mm -hmm. So I have to remember all that. It's much harder work to remember that for this child, they want or need this, or the parents have asked this of me, mm-hmm. you know, um, the parents have said, just here's one weird little example. Um, I really want my child to call you Mr. Cohen, because uh, that's really important in our family or our culture or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But other families are all, no, let them call you Richard, which mm-hmm. is how I would want to be treated. Right, okay. But um, I need to let those ones call me Mr. Cohen, even though what I'd want is to be called Richard. Mm-hmm. Um, they want Their parents want them to learn to call me Mr. Cohen. So I can't ask them to treat me the way I'd want to be treated. I have to remember for each of them what they need or want or their parents want or need for them mm-hmm. and then be very individualized in my interactions with them. And that's harder and more exhausting, but it's, it's, uh, I hate to use words like right and wrong, but it feels right to me. Mm -hmm. That's respectful.
0: Yeah. Um, but it, but it's very difficult. Like I, I don't even know. Um, I don't even know what more I want to say to that other than it is really hard work. Um, and it seems easier to just treat everybody the same way. Um, and say, well, I've got 24 children in this class, and I can't individualize for each of them. But we can make efforts towards individual. We may not perfectly be able to to meet that for every one of those children and every one of their parents, but we can make efforts towards that. That can still be our goal, which will guide our intention, um, which which will, I think, move us in that direction, even if we feel like it's not 100% (laughs) achievable right away.
1: Well, what I just heard you say is process versus product. Mm. Understanding that life is a journey and not a destination. Yeah. And that professional development is a metaphor for child and human development. Mm-hmm. And I'm always in my process of growing towards something. Yeah. Perfectionism, will, if, if that's your goal, will kill you. Because you can never get to that product. Mm-hmm. You're just always in the process of improvement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Intentionally. Yeah. Reflectively. <laughs>
0: everything is processed to you richard
1: it is
0: (laughs) which is cool (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate it um so that that gets us to the end of the article is there anything else that you wanted to to be able to say that we haven't been able to or that you feel like you want to
1: no this is like the war and peace of early childhood nerd episodes (laughs) this has gone on for this is like a mini series you're going to have to break this into like five freaking episodes. I'm going to have to do
0: some editing, uh, which really just means I'll no, go sit in the, li- well, some dividing, dividing into separate episodes, not dividing. taking anything out. I don't do that kind yes. of editing, um, Okay. which just means I'm going to go sit in the living room with my laptop and say, oh, I've got to divide this episode up. And Steve will say, oh, I'll help you. And I hand him the laptop. <laughs> It's a great system that we've got here. Um, uh, So thanks Richard uh, for both the article and the conversation. Um, I think uh, I I definitely know that I read this, like when I first found your Facebook forever ago, and then I didn't think much about it until you did that, um, that Facebook live where you read through it. And um, and then I was like, Oh yeah, that's a really good piece. Um, So I'm glad that, that you wanted to talk about it on the
1: podcast. Well, thank you mm-hmm. so much for saying that about the piece and for inviting me to spend <laughs> time talking about it with you.
0: Always. You're always welcome on the show. Um, and in my texts and however else
1: we need to do this.
0: All right, Thanks, everybody, for listening. We won't subject you to any more of whatever that was going to turn into. <laughs> and thanks again, Richard, for being on. We'll see you guys uh, all for another episode. Bye.
1: Bye. And
0: that's the show. Now, go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning
1: Upstairs Studio production. Oh.